Today's reading is from Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared him ask, no one dared ask him any more questions. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful um, to be reminded again of this scripture that is familiar to us from this series. We pray, God, that you would bring your word from Matthew this morning, that you, Holy Spirit, would quicken our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. We pray that you would meet us in our places of pain and sorrow and grief. We pray that you would meet us in our places where we just need encouragement. We pray that you would meet us in the places where we need to hear from you, bring conviction, bring joy, bring your word from Matthew, we ask, and we pray this for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Hi, uh, good morning, uh, Christ City. Good morning, church family. I'm glad that um, each and every one of you are here. Thank you to uh, Andrea and Drew, to Nikki, to Lisa, to everybody who's led us in worship um, and through our liturgy this morning. Um, and thank you to, to, to you for offering your voice in our liturgy as well as we pray prayers of confession of sin and prayers of profession of faith in the Lord's uh, prayer. All, all of these uh, pieces of our Sunday service, they are intended to anchor us in our faith in Jesus and remind us of our citizenship in God's kingdom and to recommission us to the work and the reminder that God is greater than the sorrows of the world. And so I, I, thank you for joining us. Uh, and, and you're not just sort of in a stream with us as a passive participant, but that you're an active engager in what we're doing. And so I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that we're here together. Uh, today, I want to close out our four-week discussion that we've been having on the topic of where we're going as a church. A month ago, we began this series we've called Tilas, where we're going and how we're going to get there. And as uh, Justin mentioned when he started, uh, telos is a Greek word that means aim or goal or purpose. And what Justin, Andrea, and I have wanted to do in this series is to return to some of our church's anchoring purposes. We want to reflect again on our mission as a church and consider how those anchoring truths continue to hold steady for us and serve as a sustaining motivation for the work that God has called us to do in this time and in this place. What has been central to all of the sermons of the past week's is love. In our first week, Justin unpacked the ways that God is love and love is to hold primacy in the life of those that follow Jesus. In, in weeks two and 
Three, we examined the object and subject of our love. We heard from Jesus in Mark 12 that the most important thing in our lives, the the most important pursuit in our lives must be the love of God. And we'll return to that passage in a bit today. Last week, Andrea helped us see the spiritual necessity of loving one another within the community of faith. She expanded on the image of Jesus, robed in majesty, yet simultaneously robed in a towel. She illustrated how Jesus displayed love to those closest to him through humility and care and expressions of servanthood, all of which roots us in the truth that we are to love one another. This week, I want to talk about what it means for us to love our neighbors. I want us to see from Jesus' words the invitation to those that are around us, all of those around us, those that are physically next to us and those neighbors that are farther away, even oceans away. And what I hope that we see is that Jesus is inviting us into a life and a faith that demands love of our neighbors. Um, I think it was uh, the second year of, of living in D.C. Um, Elise and I and the kids, we had just moved from, from northwest D.C. over to southeast D.C., where we uh, live now. And I was walking down H, H Street with my two sons, with Nathan and Elias, and we were coming back from a lecture that I had given to a group of college students who were in town for spring break. And they were doing various service projects with Little Lights and other ministries here in D.C., and they were staying at the historic Douglas Memorial United Methodist Church, which is just a few yards from where I am now. So give the lecture. After the lecture, uh, me and uh, the kids, we leave. We're walking to grab some food. And the boys, they look at me and they ask, they go, Dad, is our church the best? Now, my sons are a bit competitive. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to let them down. But also, I'm not sure how to rank churches. And, and even if I did know how to rank them, I sort of feel like that's like sacrilegious. So and I don't want to stir that up in my sons either. That feels like a bad move. So I kind of hem and haw and I don't even know if him and haw is a real word, but you know, I just, I didn't know what to say. And so finally I look at him and I'm like, okay guys, here's the thing. I actually hope that our church is incredibly average because, because kids, what we're, what we're trying to do is just to simply love God and to love each other and to love our city really, really well with God's love. And I hope that every church in this city is working on that. And I know that many are, including the one that we just love. He said to him, I hope that we're not all that unique. And we walked a little bit more and, and they asked some other stuff. And then Elias, who's like the old tender soul of our bunch, he says, well, that makes sense. Nathan responds, yeah, but I think we're still probably the best. I mean, at least right around here. <laughs> now, I, t- I tell you that story to say that the things that we've been talking about in this series, they may seem quite fundamental. They may seem just even elementary even, because in many respects they are. And the truth is we never move past them in our followership of Jesus. We are ever and always growing in our love of God and our love of others and our love of neighbors. And this morning, I I want us to return to a passage that I preached from two weeks ago. I want us to look again at Mark 12. As I mentioned then, the passage in Mark 12 is referred to as the greatest commandment. And it's found in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. There's some differences in each of the scenes, but there's a consistency in what Jesus is saying. In each of the gospel scenes, Jesus is being questioned by a religious leader about the scope of the laws in the Old Testament and a summary of that law. In Mark 12, uh, Jesus responds to the question by quoting Deuteronomy 6, a passage in the Hebrew Bible that's referred to as the Shema. The passage says, Hear, O Israel, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. 
And Jesus is saying that the most important thing for us is to know in our journey of faith, the most important thing is that we are to love God with our whole lives and our whole selves. Jesus continues in Mark 12, and, and it's uh, the back half of the passage to which we need to turn our attention. So uh, go ahead and look again there with me. Verse 31, Jesus says that the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with you, all your heart, and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, a couple of things that I want us uh, to see here. Uh, first, when asked what is the most important thing that we should know about our faith, of all the 300 plus religious laws that are in the Bible, what's the centerpiece of it all? What's, what is the most important? What's the filter through which we should run all other laws and statutes and regulations through? How do we make sense of all of this? And Jesus says the, the first is to, is to love God passionately, deeply. The second is to love your neighbor. Love them truly, love them, love them graciously. Love them as you love yourself. Now, when this scene is recorded in Matthew's gospel, Matthew notes that Jesus added, all the laws and all the prophets, well, all of it hangs on these two commands. For Jesus, faithfulness to God meant that, well, it meant that we we're to love God with the entirety of our lives. And then second, just like it, Jesus says, is to love our neighbor as ourselves. The thing is, we, we don't get to separate these requirements. We don't get to do one or simply focus on one and neglect the other. For the, for the Lord, they, they are together, not in attention, but in harmony, in unity. They're, they're together in integration. And I think it's instructive to notice that what the teacher of the law says at the end of the conversation. Look back again at Mark 33 at the back half of the passage. The man replies, to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. The teacher essentially says to Jesus, you're right, which it's it, it, always a good move. Just agree with Jesus. Whatever he says, you say, you're right, Jesus. The teacher always says, you're right. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Loving our neighbor is more important to Jesus than any of our religious services or activities. Any of the ways that we believe ourselves sacrificing for God or executing our liturgy as important as it is, none of that is more crucial to faithful living than loving our neighbors. Earlier uh, this week, I was watching a video that was sent to me by somebody within our church. It was a video of Pastor Dave Gibbons of uh, New Song Church. In the video, Pastor Davey expressed clearly something that I'd been feeling about the rightful ordering of our love for neighbors in our religious services. The thing is, we're, we're all aching to get back to circumstances wherein we as a church can regather corporately on Sunday. And I have to say, each week that goes by, each, each Sunday that goes by, I miss you more and more. There have been times where, where I've imagined the first moment where I'll be able to serve communion to you again. When that happens, I can't guarantee that I'm going to keep it together. I suspect it's going to be joyful and emotional because there is something that we're missing, something spiritual and emotional that we're missing in this time apart from one another. 
But the thing that we have to be careful of is the insidious ways that our push to return to Sunday gatherings can become an attempt to neglect the greater cause of neighbor love that this moment in our country demands. Our desire to return to regular Sunday gatherings, they must not become a way that we drown out the cries for justice that we hear from the streets. Cries for Breonna Taylor or Ahmaud Arbery or George Floyd or Sandra Bland and so many others that are being ground down by the machinations of systemic sin and oppression. Our worship now, in this moment, and when we gather, it must be a comfort to the hurting. It must be a sustenance to the saints in the struggle. It must be a joyful song in the midst of the sorrow of oppression. Otherwise, we run the risk of valuing burnt offerings and sacrifices over God's demand that we love our neighbors as ourselves. The uh, conversation, it, it ends with Jesus saying to the teacher of the law, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely. Jesus said to him, you're not far from the kingdom. And nobody else dared to ask Jesus any more questions. Jesus notes that the man sees the deep resonating connection between loving God and loving neighbors. And in seeing that faith, Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom, my friend. I want, I want to live my life near the kingdom. I want us as a church to live our collective lives near the kingdom. And if that is our desire, then it means that we will need to be a people who love our neighbors with our lives, with our voices, with our prayers and with our sacrifices. Jesus says we are to love God with our whole lives. He then says the second commandment is like the first because of that. I, I, I don't think that it's a tremendous leap to understand our Lord's to be saying to us, love your neighbors with your heart and with your mind and with your soul and with your very lives. And if we do that, if that is our telos, then I suspect we will hear Jesus saying to us, friends, you're not far from the kingdom. Now, there's a, um, there's a lingering question that comes uh, out of this question is, well, 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 who is my neighbor? That question actually gets settled in this case in Luke 10. In Luke 10, we see the same scene as in Mark 12. Jesus is being questioned by religious leaders, and they ask him, what's the most important thing I should know about faith? And they use different words, but the meaning's the same. And Jesus, again, he replies similarly as he does in Mark. He says, love God and love your neighbor. But in Luke's account, the religious leader presses Jesus. He asks a follow-up question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? Luke 10, 29, but, but he wanting to justify himself to Jesus. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in response to this question, Jesus tells what is one of the most famous of all of Jesus' parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in that parable, Jesus tells us, he says, there is a man going down from Jerusalem to, to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man the other side of the road, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came down to the place where he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured oil uh, and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, there is so much to mine in this parable, and we could spend weeks exploring the rich beauty and meaning and implications 
of this parable. But for today, I simply want to highlight three quick answers to the questions that emerge in response to who is my neighbor. Three answers are those that are near, those that are outside, and those that are hostile. The, uh, the first response to who is my neighbor is to say that those that are near to you, those that are, well, that are your neighbors. There you go, free answer. Those that live close to you. In the parable, there's a man, he's traveling down a road, a road headed towards the city of Jericho. He's set upon by thieves. They beat him, they rob him, they leave him lying on one side of the road. Later, two men, two religious, pious men, they pass by him. They see him on the side of the road, but the scripture says that they, they don't, they go over there. They wanted to pass by on the other side. Now, look, Jericho Road uh, is not like an eight-lane, like superhighway. It's like a trail, really. And it's not as though they didn't see him. They're in genuine proximity to him. And yet they fail to stop, fail to render aid. They, they fail to be a neighbor. And more importantly, they fail to love this neighbor in need despite their proximity to him. They just keep walking. And in their callous continuation, they become the sad antagonists of this story. So when you ask, who is my neighbor? Well, it's the one that's on the road with you. The one that's that's close to me, the one that's near me, the one that's in proximity to me, the the one that I can see from where I stand. That's that's my neighbor. Look, here's what I want you to do. When when this live stream is done, or if you're, you know, I don't pause it, I don't know how it works, but when the live stream is done, I want you to walk out to your porch or your stoop or in the hallway of your apartment or condo or on the balcony or the backyard, back deck, whatever. I want you to look up and down. I want you to look around you and what you will see are the houses and the apartments of those that Jesus would say to you, those are your neighbors. And what is required of you as an ambassador of my kingdom is to love them with God's love so that they might know that God loves them and he's loving them through you. They may experience the inviting story of Christ through you. So who's your neighbor? It's those that are geographically close to you. Your neighbors, they're your neighbors. When I think about this, I can't help but an experience I had um, a few years back. I've, I've shared this story in a few spots, but feels like a good time to share it again. One of the things uh, that, that I that I enjoy doing, I, I like barbecuing, I like cooking. Uh, it's a gift that I have, and I enjoy sharing it with others. Not long after I moved to D.C., I was living in Columbia Heights at the time, and my barbecue grill that I have um, that I use to smoke ribs, one of the doors had rusted off, and I needed it to uh, be repaired. And I, as things and fate would have it, I learned that one of my neighbors was a was a welding guy. One of my neighbors who lived in the back alley was a welding guy. His name was Roland. Now, uh, I talked to him about fixing the smoker. I gave him the smoker. A couple of weeks later, he's finished with it and gives it back to me. Now, about a week after that, it's a weekend. I smoke a bunch of ribs. I got some folks over. And at the end of the evening, I pack up a bunch of ribs. I put it in a, like a tinfoil you know, tray, put some foil over the top of it, and I go over to Roland's house as a gift to say thank you. Now, I'm trying my best to show God's love to my neighbors. Now, I had a friend of mine with me. His name is Jordan. Jordan is with me, uh, and he has his dog, Shady. Now, as I'm leaving, they're leaving the party with me, so I say, hey, why don't you walk with me through the alley, and we can you can come with me to deliver the ribs to Roland. So it's me, Jordan, and Jordan's dog, Shady, which at the time was the most misbehaving dog I had 
ever known in my life. So we head down the alley. I walk through Roland's backyard up to his back door. I'm holding the foil tray ribs. I'm holding the thing and I knock on the door. I hear a voice from inside that I recognize is not Roland's voice. They shout, who is it? It was at this point that I realized this might be a little awkward. I've just come into somebody's back door and I, not the, not the front door. And so they ask, who is it? And so here I am standing, active neighborly love, and undaunted, I reply, is Pastor Matthew. Now, listen, I have never in my life introduced myself as Pastor Matthew. But I thought, well, maybe if I say I'm a pastor, it'll make this sort of weird situation a little less weird. So the door opens and there's a woman standing there that I have never seen. And I say, how you doing? And as soon as I say that, Jordan's dog, Shady, which has been standing in the alley, makes a beeline through the backyard, up the back steps, almost knocks me down, runs into this person's house and starts running around and barking. The people in the house, they start yelling. They're like cursing. They're like, what in the world? How did this wild beast end up? And I realized then that Roland has a cat that Shady could see from the alley. I'm still standing there. I'm yelling at Jordan. Jordan, get your crazy dog out of these people's houses. Shady makes a couple of laps around the house, runs back out, freaks everybody else out, knocks some stuff over. All I can do is stand there, look at them, holding these ribs and say, I, I, I brought you some ribs. And then I just le- I just dipped. I left. I didn't have anything else to say. Now, I tell you that to say this. I cannot guarantee that your attempts at loving your neighbors won't be awkward or weird or embarrassing or even complete disasters. I can't say that because they might be. Church, our orders are to love our neighbors. And that means those that are on the road with us, those that are in close proximity to us, but it also means that we are to love those that we view as different, as, as outsiders as well. Luke 10, 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. But... A Samaritan. That phrase is it's just packed with innuendo. When Jesus identifies that it was a Samaritan, in contrast to the Levite and the priest, the, the, the Samaritan is the hero of the story. Jesus knows what he's doing here. He knows that he is centering someone that the listeners would have seen as outside of their community. Samaritans were outsiders to the Israelite people. They were, they were outsiders geographically, relationally, spiritually. The, the history of the Samaritans begins uh, with a group of Israelites who failed to fully cross into the promised land. They stopped uh, just short of crossing the Jordan River when all of the rest of the Hebrew people crossed and made their way into the land that was to become Israel. And because of the Samaritans' decision to remain outside of the promised land's boundaries, they were forever viewed as outsiders. The faith traditions of the Israelites and the Samaritans, they began to diverge. And over time, the Israelites viewed the Samaritans as apostate and as heretical. Rather than worship in Jerusalem, Samaritans, they worshiped on a different mount, on Mount Gerizim instead of Mount Zion. This practice put the Samaritans outside of religious purity practices, further alienating Samaritans from Israelites. And as generations passed, the chasm between the two groups, it only widened. Cultures changed, religious practices changed, distinctions and differences developed along with suspicions. Yet Jesus says it is the Samaritan man 
It is the one display, he's the one displaying godly love. If we are to be a people marked by Jesus, then we must be a people who show God's love to those that we view as outsiders, those we might otherwise look at with mistrust, or those uh, that we see as different and uh, distant from ourselves. This theme gets called out throughout the New Testament. And with each call to show hospitality, there are echoes of the Good Samaritan. In Romans 12, followers of Jesus are urged to contribute to the needs of the saints and seek and show hospitality. The author of Hebrews in Hebrew 13, he encourages Christians to not neglect showing hospitality to strangers. And the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4, he says to the church, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And what is missing in the English translations of these passages, but is clear in the Greek, is that these calls for hospitality, they are all aimed at what the church may view as outsiders. You see, the word for hospitality in Greek is philozenia. Philo, a word for love. Xenia is the word for foreigner or stranger. It's the root word, xenia, that we get xenophobia or the fear of the stranger. Bound up in the word hospitality is the understanding that we are to show love to the stranger, to the outsider, to the one that is different from ourselves. We are to show philozenia. We are to love as the Samaritan love, the Israelite on the side of the road. If we are to love our neighbors, it means that we are to love those that are different than us. And yet there's, there's, there's still another standard of neighbor love that emerges from the text. You see, Samaritans and Jews, they weren't just different, they were, they were enemies. Theirs wasn't the benign difference born out of different beliefs and different addresses, but rather there was a deep hostility that they held towards each other because at different times in their histories, these two groups had engaged in real violence towards each other. 150 years before Christ, the leader of Judea led an army that completely destroyed the Samaritan capital. When Rome later came and conquered the region, Samaritans were known to join the Roman army as a way to oppress and harass Jews of the day. And this back and forth violence had escalated and receded throughout the histories of these two people, histories that were thousands of years long. They had killed each other's countrymen. They had stifled one another's flourishing and well-being. Each other's blood was on each other's hands. And into that violent history, Jesus tells a parable wherein the turn of the story happens on a turn of a phrase, but a Samaritan. If we are to love our neighbors as Christ would have us, then we must love those that are right around us, those that are in close proximity. We must love those that are different than us, outside of our circles. Those that we find ourselves at opposite ends of uh, the polarity than us. And if we are to love our neighbors the love that comes from God, then we will need to love those that are our enemies, those that are hostile towards us. Now, realize that this is a, a bit of a hard word. It's a hard word for me. Love is a hard word. Love is the hardest thing that God asks us to do. It's the most revolutionary thing that we will do or that we can engage in. Love is the strongest thing in the world, though. As Father Greg Boyle notes, there is no force in the world better able to alter anything from its course than love. God is love, and love has a name. Now, 
I know you may be sitting there and sort of feeling the weight of love and love's requirements, and you're thinking, yo, uh, it's all I can do to love my family and folks I like, my friends, um, much less my neighbors and much less folks that are different than me, and I'm not even sure if I've got the, the wherewithal to love those that are hostile towards me. I, just, I want to say a couple things. First, um, you don't do it on your own. Remember that you can't love on your own, that rather it's Christ in you, it's, it's God's love in you, and I want you, church, to rest in that. Love from that place, not your own strength. Second, I want us to remember that Jesus isn't asking us to do something that he hasn't already done. Jesus loved those that are right around him so that we can love those that are around us. Jesus loved those that were different than himself so that we can love those that are different than us. Jesus loved those that were hostile towards him. He loved us when we were hostile towards him but we can love those that are hostile towards us. And it's this life, it's his life in us that empowers us, that equips us, that sustains us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So I think it's right for us at this point to come to the communion table, to come to the place that shows us and reminds us The love that we are called to is not love that we are to do on our own, but rather we are to do because of Christ's life with us. Last thing I want to say is is that the Samaritan crossed the street. He's moving down one side of the street, sees a guy on the other side, and and he crosses the street. So I guess the last thing I just want to say is, is how do we cross the street of loving our neighbors? I was thinking about how I taught my kids um, when they were young how to cross the street. The way you cross the street, you got to look both ways. You got to know where you are. Okay, just run out. You know, there's a street. Let me cross it. There's an awareness about it. You don't cross immediately. So if you're in a spot where you're like, man, I, I don't, I can't yet cross. It's okay to look both ways to know where you are. To know what you're capable of and able to do, and it's okay to wait till there's a break before you cross. You don't have to trudge out. The Lord is patient. And before you cross the street, look both ways. Know where you are. Know what's around you. The other thing that I tell the kids is the safest way for them to cross the street is to do it uh, with each other. Don't cross the street by yourself. You go with others. On the street that I live on, right across the street, there's a green space and the kids, they play over there and they always hold hands and they, they cross together because it's safe to cross the street together. And so as you look to see and ask the Lord how the Lord wants you to cross the street of loving your neighbors, don't go by yourself. That was Nikki's testimony this morning. But you go with others. It's safer. It's more sustaining. It's more caring. You cross the street with others. And the last thing, the safest way, whenever I cross the street, the absolute safest way for me to cross was uh, with my dad. And I would hold his hand as a kid. My kids hold my hand. Because there are times we would step out in the street and it's like my dad had the 
have the ability to stop traffic because our Father has the ability to stop traffic. So as you begin crossing the street of loving those that are close to you, those that are different than you, and even those that are hostile towards you, cling to your heavenly Father's hand as you cross the street and know that he watches over you and cares for you. Let's look both ways. Let's go together, church. Let's cling to our Father's hand as we cross. For the sake of his kingdom, and for the flourishing of Washington, D.C. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray that um, in this moment that whoever needs to to sense your comforting presence over them, God, that by the strength and power and tenderness and sensitivity of your Holy Spirit, that you would embrace them, that you would hold them close and hold them tight, that they would first experience your great love towards them and then from that place to love you and to love others. God, I pray that in this moment that everyone who's able to hear my voice, that they wouldn't feel isolated or neglected, but that they would know that they are seen and they are loved and they are cared for by the tender hand of God. Lord, from that place, may you find us being a people that love radically our neighbors and to display the radical love of God. pray these things in the name of the one who crossed the street to care for us, to rescue us, to save us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.